first reading is from Genesis, the first chapter. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse, and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And so it was. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it 
and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. This is the word of the Lord. Our psalm for today is Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The second reading is from Acts, the second chapter. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lift up, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, 
he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel assigned for this day is from the book of Matthew, the 28th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. All right, so if you had only three seconds, three seconds to say the very last words to someone who's sitting beside you. Like if you were to have three seconds and you would never see your little brother again and you had three seconds to tell him something. If you had three seconds to tell mom something, you have three seconds to tell your husbands and your wives something or your sister something. Only three seconds. In those three seconds, and after that you would never see them this side of heaven, what would be the things that you would tell them? What would you say? Love you, right? I mean, he, it, that's probably it. It, it. Even at the early church, that was the response. I love you. I mean, that, if you wanted someone that you were never going to see that again, that in that capturing of that word, I love you, hopefully that would summarize just everything. But they, they, they would have no greater affection in your heart and appreciation and gratitude than to say, I love you, right? The last 12 words Jesus spoke... He was not going to see his friends face-to-face as he is in the flesh, this man-God-son mystery that we have with Jesus. He was not going to see his friends again, this side of, of heaven probably. And in these last moments, these last seconds, the very last thing he says isn't a tender, oh, soft, I I love you. It wasn't that. He gave them something, and if you can imagine as a gift from God, something even better and greater and more profound from him. The very last 12 words that Jesus spoke to his friends, and I memorized it through the, the NRSV. That was a standard issue Bible when I went through seminary. They said, okay, you know, like, here's your Bible here, take your haircut here, get your uniform here, whatever it was. But when I went through that line at seminary, the Bible that I was to use was this NRSV, fully annotated with the Apocrypha and all that stuff in it. So that was my Bible. And memorized this, these verses. Remember, is what it says. I am God. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Twelve words. The last twelve words Jesus spoke in the entire gospel book of Matthew, the very last twelve words were, remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Those words were to be greater words than even a word message, I love you. Those words were to be given to a person who is going to be living in a very troubled world. 
Those words were being shared to this particular man, Matthew, who was once a very much lost and condemned soul. And it's actually words not just to Matthew in that context, but it was a message to us all who have heard his message. Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Matthew's gospel, what makes this important? Matthew's gospel is probably written sometime in the years no earlier than 70. They know it happened, happened after 70, but sometime in the years 80 to 90. That's when gospel, Matthew was writing these words. And a lot has taken place in his life since he's seen the ascension of Jesus from this mountain when Jesus gives us these words. The ascension of Jesus, 10 days later, the Pentecost moment when the Spirit comes. A lot has happened in their world since those days and the years 80s and 90s when he's writing this gospel book. Much has happened. So we're going to remember what has happened in his world and consider it. So in the year 33, somewhere near 33, 34, Stephen, we remember him weeks ago, he was killed, he was stoned to death. One of his dear friends was murdered. And the persecution of Christians had began to intensify starting from that year 30 to 34. In year 35, Peter and the other apostles, they begin to go like Jesus commanded them. Go to the ends of the earth. Tell the good news to all the peoples of all the nations. And so now they've left, and that means they're separated. Much as I'm delighting in the fact that more and more people are coming back here to the God's house every Sunday and celebrating, worshiping together, in these days, they were gone and they probably weren't going to return like it ever was. They are separated. They will be alone in many ways. Year 37, Roman Emperor Tiberius, he was smothered in his sick bed to ease along his departure. And there was great uncertainty in the empire at that. Who's going to be the next emperor? Who's going to be ruling? So now there's turmoil in the emperor. Year 41, Caligula becomes the emperor. But then he's assassinated. And then he's, taken, he's succeeded by Claudius. Claudius becomes the emperor. So now you have murder and hostile takeovers within the highest levels of the ruling empire. And that affects the ends of the empire. Year 42 to 67, somewhere in there, Peter had been in Antioch for about seven years, and now he's going to travel to Rome, and that's a dangerous place to be between 42 and 67, but still he goes, because in Rome, there's the crossroads. They say all roads lead to Rome. When he's in Rome with this new Christian church that he's going to form, it will touch the ends of the earth in a greater way. So he goes there. And at that point, James becomes the bishop of, of Jerusalem. You're um, somewhere between 46 and 67, Paul's beginning his missionary journeys. That's a highlight. That's a good thing. Somewhere between 49 and 50, there's a, there's a conflict in the church. Some believe that in order to be a follower of Jesus, you must be a Jew first. You must be circumcised. You must follow the laws. And you must honor all these codes that was once the Jewish ways. And then from there, then you get to be baptized and you're a Christian. They thought you needed to be a Jewish person first and then a Christian. And Paul's arguing, no, you're saved by grace through faith, not of your works, not of your doing. It is a gift of God. And so they have this debate. How are you saved? And Paul argues successfully that you're not saved because 
because you're circumcised. You are not saved because you do all the works of God. In fact, none of those things has ever contributed to your salvation. If Jesus had not died on the cross, you would not be saved. And so they put the emphasis on Jesus and being saved by his grace through your faith, period. But they had a, they had a significant argument, enough that they would come back from all their places and having a council in Jerusalem to debate just this. So there was tension in the church. Then in year 54, Claudius is poisoned by his wife. Emperor Claudius poisoned by his wife. Why? Because she wants her son Nero to be the emperor. And Nero becomes the emperor. In year 62, after Nero is now an emperor for about eight years, the people in Iraq area, Parthians, they decide that we don't want Roman rule. So they raise armies and they go to war against, against Roman armies. That's happening. And that's just north. That'd be like Canada going to war with England or something. I mean, those were our neighbors and that was their neighbors. At this point, James, the bishop of Jerusalem... In year 62, he's murdered. He's martyred because he's a Christian. Year 64, there's a great fire in Rome. Rome then begins a mass persecution of all Christians. Year 66, the Roman procurator of Judea, Gessius Florus, he murders 3,600 plus Jewish people. He's crucified 2,000 of them. Scattered on crosses across the land, 2,000 bodies hung from those trees. That was in the month of May. After that, there's a Jewish revolt. It begins against Rome. Roman Gentiles, in response to that, the Roman people in Caesarea, they murdered 20,000 Christians and Jews. A Jewish army then defeats and massacres a Roman garrison at Masada. Then in response to that, the the Jewish people or the Gentile people in Damascus, they set out and they kill in response 10,000 Jewish people. And with that, the Jews are doing well. They they exile or this Cestus Gallus army. They remove the Roman army out of their land. That happened in November. But the problem is, as soon as they got rid of the Roman army and there was a little bit of hope of respite from the Romans, three factions within the people decide that they all want to be leaders and they start to fight each other. The Jewish leaders start to go war against each other. All three leaders are claiming to be the Messiah. On top of that, there's numerous earthquakes. And somewhere between 64 and 67, St. Peter's killed outside of Rome, as well as St. Paul. Year 67... General Vespian and his son arrive into the Holy Land from Syria with four legions of Roman soldiers. There's a swarm of locusts. They consume everything in their path and they will defeat everything in their path. Year 68 to 69, there was four emperors that year. It ended up with General um, Vespian becoming the emperor because the Senate votes for him. That means now he goes back and takes care of politics. His son Titus then continues his march across the Holy Land with four legions of soldiers. They destroy Jerusalem. They level the temple. And anybody who survived that, they were sold into slavery. One million. So Josephus was a historian. He wrote some books for us. Josephus estimated that the dead in Jerusalem, 1,197,000 plus. With all that happening, with all of that happening in just those few years from the time Jesus has ascended to the time he's writing his book, he still writes the last words. Go make disciples of all nations. 
baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And remember, I am with you to the end of the age. Those last words of Jesus recorded by Matthew, you know, he could have mentioned in this book, and in his last words, he could have, he could have mentioned something about how he felt distant from his previous brothers in Jesus. He had traveled and lived with Jesus for those three years, and he missed Jesus, and he missed his dear friends. He could have written about that. He could have mentioned about how he lies awake at night thinking about all the trouble in the world and how he thinks about in the days about the good old days. Matthew's gospel book could have mentioned the number of people murdered starting with Stephen as he was stoned to death. That is a brutal way of dying. Matthew's gospel book could have presented the economic hardships that they were facing as they were under Roman rule and Roman taxes. He could have highlighted the great uncertainty of the Roman Empire as the leadership was changing and they were growing more and more hostile to the Christians. Maybe even about his own policy and demands by his own Jewish government upon him. Matthew's Gospel book could have mentioned thousands of Jews, tens of thousands of Jews who were being murdered, even being crucified. Thousands, think about this, thousands of mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and families torn apart because they are sold into slavery and they will never, ever see each other again. And the over 1.1 million Jews laying dead and burning in Jerusalem. We think we have it bad because we can't gather at a movie theater like we used to or watch our favorite teams in ballparks or in stadiums or even gather in churches like we used to. We think we have it bad because there's a temporary shortage of toilet paper uh, or there's not enough hand sanitizer or maybe not enough meat products in the store. We think we have it bad because we have to watch old reruns of old television shows or we have to watch sporting events from the 1980s because there's nothing to watch now or we have to cook our own meals because the restaurants were closed. Or we, we have to watch worship now, but not in person, but we have to watch it through computers. And we think of all those first world problems as hardships. That's like, not a chance. Not a chance. Matthew, rather than including any of his tremendous global threats and hardships, he doesn't do any of that. Matthew, Matthew, he gives us the good news of Jesus. And he starts with the genealogy. Matthew is powerfully reminding us, the readers, from that day going all forward, that God's had a plan since Genesis, since they were removed from the garden because of sin, God had a plan that he would be able to bring his family home. And he's been working on that plan for over 1,500 years. He's been working on that plan. And he, so he begins his, his book with the story of the genealogy of Jesus. So he, we, the readers, would know that God has had a plan from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Moses, all the way through the prophets until the very time Jesus is born to the virgin in, in, in Bethlehem. He touches upon that. Matthew then, after he starts with this genealogy that touches us upon the tapestry of God's plan, gives us a big picture, then he uses 23,343 words in the King James Bible, 28 chapters, to then communicate God's saving plan in Jesus and what God's love is actually like for us. 
He has a plan to save and to redeem and to bless, and it's complete because when Jesus defeats sin, he does so because he's an obedient son, and he will never even question his Father's will. He and the Father are one. If God says it, I believe it, I do it. That's what Jesus, that's his whole life. That was his reason and purpose and goal, was to be one with his Father in obedience. But he also defeats the devil because he loved perfectly even the ones who would not love. He loved the ones who were grumpy. He loved the ones who were nice. He loved the whole spectrum of creation. His love was perfect and it was not conditional. And Matthew reminds us of that. And then he defeats death. The power of God's life within Jesus defeats death. So Matthew, he doesn't write in his book and end with his book, oh, it's so hard to be faithful these days and my hope is just crushed because of this and because of that, because my toilet didn't flush, because my air conditioner broke. He's not doing any of that. Matthew is celebrating his reason and his purpose. Matthew is sharing the source of his joy, this this joy and delight in him that is to live, and that solely is now God revealed in, in Jesus. Go make disciples. Go share this good news, Matthew. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. You notice there's no focus on any headline news no human world events. The focus of Matthew's book is Jesus. The reason for his gospel book is to tell the good news of God revealed in Jesus. The life Matthew lives and the hope of his future is Jesus. Now with that said, the context of this book that's also spoken to the person. So it might be good for us to remember Matthew himself. So these words are spoken to a troubled world and to a lost man and to all believers. So now we'll talk about the lost man. Sometime um, Jesus found his way to Caesarea Philippi. That's where um, Matthew lived. Matthew was there. Or not Caesarea, Capernaum. Capernaum is a city on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum is a fishing village. It's also a house of a Roman garrison, a large Roman garrison. They needed it there to occupy that land and keep it under their rule. Capernaum was the home of St. Peter and some other fishermen, and it became a base for Jesus' ministry. Matthew, in that city, would have been considered one of the lost. When in chapter 9, he's introduced to Jesus, what we hear Jesus saying to all those that are criticizing him for talking with sinners is Jesus tells them, I didn't come to save the righteous ones. I came to save sinners. Few would have been considered a greater sinner than tax collector Matthew. He had chosen to work for an occupation army, an occupation uh, nation. He did so by collecting taxes from his friends, from his family, from his Jewish community, even from his Jewish nation on behalf of Rome. And any extra that he collected It could have been substantial too. He could have used it to pad a comfortable life, a nice house and all the servants and all the best things of life. All that was to profit him. It's an understatement to say that Matthew would not have been liked. He was probably despised. He was an outcast from his nation, an outcast from his people, and an outcast from God. Few occupations would have been more foul and more corrupt than a Jewish man profiting as a Roman tax collector. And in Capernaum, while in his tax booth, he is called by Jesus. Jesus speaks to him personally, directly. He says, 
follow me. That's what Matthew did. I'm highlighting Matthew now, the one who gave us these last words in this gospel book. I'm highlighting you because I want you to remember that God had plans for Matthew and he let them know and he participated and he was blessed. But God has plans for each one of us as well. God has plans for us to leave a life of sinful choices and sinful attitudes and and be like Matthew. God has plans for us to follow Jesus and Jesus' way of love and kindness and gratitude like Matthew. God has plans for us to invite Jesus into our homes and into our lives just like Matthew because that is what Matthew did as soon as he was invited to follow Jesus. Because when Jesus invited him, he said, well, then come to my house. And when Jesus went to his house, he got a message out to all of his friends. He might have personally done so. He says, tax collectors and sinners, the ones who might be outcasts and will never be good enough to set face in a synagogue, that this Messiah, possible hope in Messiah, he's invited me to follow him. And oh, by the way, he's in my house. Why don't you come and see? And so his house was filled with tax collectors and filled with the ones who were called sinners. And that's why the Pharisees and the religious ones all pointed fingers at him. Oh, he eats with sinners and tax collectors. And he says, I didn't come to save the righteous. Obviously, the righteous don't need me. I came for the sinners. God has plans for us to invite people in our homes like Matthew. God has plans for us to honor the last words of Jesus like Matthew. God wants us to remember the last words of Jesus like Matthew. And God wants us to hold on to this good news, no matter what's going on in the world around us, like Matthew. Because by sharing the good news, by holding on to the good news, we are not just remembering it. We're not just celebrating in a church place. We're living it. When we are holding on to Jesus, we can't hold on to the garbage and the threats and the fears and the irritations and the first world drama problems that are all around us because we got Jesus. How is it that Matthew could write what he wrote? He held on to Jesus. But there's another part to this Matthew part. and this, We're getting close to the end. So... On this Matthew part, there's an example about why Jesus would give him these as the last words. And there's a reason why Matthew is giving us these last words today. And it has to do with some, I can give a couple of examples. One would be in a sporting event and another one would be a movie. Matthew is received from Jesus the final score to the championship game. Sorry, it's like, a, you know what they call that. Uh, uh, guys, when, you, when I, you hear about the end of the movie and you haven't seen it, there's a free... Spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Jesus just gave Matthew the end of the game score or Jesus gave Matthew the end of the movie outcome. And I can understand why that's necessary because I'm one who likes this. You probably have different personalities. You might like this. But if there's a championship game and there's been a few where my lowly little Arizona team has risen to the ranks where they're playing something substantial, I really didn't want to watch the game because I really invest into it and, and I can't help them and I really want to and I really don't want those scoundrels to win. I want my heroes to win. And, and the thought of them going all the way and then maybe losing at the buzzer with a three-point shot from beyond half court or something like that, it, it would drive me nuts. And so I would almost rather and sometimes would rather let the game play, tape it, find out the score, and then if they win, it's like, oh, I can rest. Because... They could get wiped out in the first quarter. They could get wrecked furthermore in the second quarter. They can come back from halftime thinking with the game plan, and that's not working. They can go into the last minutes of the very last minutes of the fourth quarter, and I can rest easy because I know who wins. They could be getting whooped fast, hard, and continuous all those times, 
but I could rest easy because I know who wins. That's what Jesus gave Matthew when he gave him the words, I am with you always to the end of the age. He already tells him what's going to happen at the end. Matthew, it doesn't matter what happens in the first quarter, the second quarter, the third quarter. It doesn't even happen what matters in the beginning of the fourth quarter. Because I'm at the end. I win. Sin's defeated. Death's defeated. The evil one's defeated. And you come home with me. And on a movie-related thing, there's been a show that we've been watching in our house. And the first time I was being introduced to this show, oh my gosh, the, the hero, I think he would be rolling back in the city and the kings and all these people would be like, what a champion you are. We owe you all this debt. How can we just praise you and make you kind of a leader here? Instead, they twist it. Some other scoundrel takes all the credit for it. That was really irritating. And then, then, then they, they maneuver him in such a way, because he's not very good at politics, he, they maneuver him in such a way as now he's in trouble, he's in imprisoning, and he's lost, all, he didn't even get any credit for all the great things he did to save everybody's life. And now he might be even losing his life with a, a fight with this, one of his friends, and I said, I'm done. I am not watching this anymore. I was like so irritated. The good guy was getting treated that way. and The bad guys were doing what the bad people always do. And I was done. I was walking away. And my sons were like pleading with me. Oh, dad, no, trust me. Do you mind a spoiler? He said, no, I'm not watching this unless you give me some good news. So they grabbed me by the back of my pants, pulled me back down to the couch and said, dad, it's going to work out. It's going to be okay. Trust us. Fair enough. I knew that it was going to work out. So I can endure all the ugly betrayals and nastiness that would take place in the middle. It's another way of considering Jesus giving them these last words and why it might be more important than just, I love you. I'm with you always to the end of the age. At the very end of the movie, there's Jesus and there's victory for the good. At the very end of the game, Jesus has outscored his opponents, and he's the champion. That's the end of the game. That's the end of the story. And Matthew can hold on to that during all those years of horrible, terrifying, non-first world, but very real troubles. Now, with all this in mind, I don't think there's a better time than today, actually any day, this whole week, the rest of our lives. There's maybe no better time for the people of God to remember the last words. That the hope of Jesus will last longer than any war. The hope of Jesus will last longer than any economic hardship or any virus and complications because of a virus. Hope in Jesus has historically been more contagious than a virus because billions of people have come to know the truth of God in Jesus Christ and they have all believed in him and they are all getting ready to go home if they're not home already because he has prepared a place for them. That is far more globally and over time more effective than some virus that's moving across our world right now. Millions upon billions have been comforted, strengthened, and saved by the great I am. Their hope and our hope, it looks past the temporary challenges of the day. Their hope and our hope is in the fact that God is with us, even when we don't see it or understand it. He is with us always. Their hope and our hope is the fact that the end of the story is a reunion with our Father, our Lord Jesus, and the fullness of our families, our friends, in the Spirit. So we get to share the good news, church. We are loved, we are forgiven. In baptism, we are made children of God. And with the Spirit's help, 
His last words will be our first and everyday words. God help us be the church. Amen. Gracious God, because of your goodness, mercy, and calling, we gather in this place and we offer our worship and praise. Because of your invitation to a right relationship with you, we pause this day to pray. You have shown great love for us, and so we are alive and well, and your Holy Spirit dwells here and within us. If it gives you glory, Lord, make our lives living witnesses of faith, hope, and love, so that others may be enriched, so that our own lives may grow and mature according to your will. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, we give you thanks for a day to celebrate this holy trinity and the promises you've given to us. We thank you that you share your loved ones with us. And Lord, we ask that you bless all those who are celebrating birthdays this week. Please bless and keep them in your faith. Lord, we ask that you bless all those who are celebrating wedding anniversaries this week. Lord, that love would win, that the love between husbands and wives would just grow and grow and your family would be blessed. Lord, we ask that you would sustain the faith of all those who mourn the loss of loved ones or are absent and distanced from their loved ones. Lord, comfort them and give them hope. Lord, we ask you to bless and guide all those who are leaders in this time of COVID-19 troubles. Lord, help us to, to remember that you are God, that we are yours, and that really put things into perspective, that you're in the beginning, the middle, and the end. Lord, we ask that you surround those who need the touch of healing in their lives with Christians who will love and provide healing. Lord, we ask that you be with those we name in our hearts now. Into your hands, Lord, we commend all for whom we pray. We will trust in your mercy through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. 